Josie DeVidio is a woman on a mission to explore the human experience. With a passion to bring entertaining and informative content to your ears, real talk, real people, this is Josieology. Hey friends, welcome back to Josieology. I'm your host, Josie DeVidio, and today I'm chatting with Iraq War veteran, former Army specialist, and Purple Heart recipient, Casey Jordan, who is here to talk about how do you view change as an opportunity to evolve and become better in all areas of our lives. Casey, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So whenever I meet women who have been in the military, I'm always fascinated by the story of how did that happen? (laughs) You know, when I would have been the age to join the military, there were not a ton of women in the military. So Now, obviously, time has passed and there are more and more women in the military, but I'm always fascinated by the process that lands you there. So tell us a little bit about how you ended up in the Army. Yeah, so my disclaimer is always that I enlisted before September 11th, before the terrorist attacks. Um, So anybody that's old enough kind of knows what that implies. So I actually enlisted when I was 17. It was the summer between my junior and senior year of high school, and I was looking for a way to pay for college. And I liked the idea, but I didn't want to like join full, you know, active duty army and be gone for years. So long story, I kind of tripped into the National Guard. And at the time, I wanted to go into law enforcement um, when I was old enough. And so in the National Guard, I could serve as military police. I could stay home and go to college and they would pay for it. I worked one week a month, two weeks a year. Like it was the dream job. Like I said, I enlisted when I was 17. And at that point in time, the Montana National Guard hadn't been deployed since World War II. Uh, females weren't allowed to serve in frontline combat. Like my specialty is actually traffic accident investigation. I'm trained as a street cop, not as like a combat soldier. Um, So there was like, in theory, zero chance that I would ever deploy. And so that's where I started. So for the benefit of our listeners who don't know you, you live in Montana. That's why you bring up the Montana National Guard. Yes. So fast forward, you weren't expecting any combat experience, but you ended up experiencing some. Yes. So right at the beginning of my senior year of high school was the 9-11 terrorist attacks. I stayed and finished high school, went straight to basic training, and then right after basic training, deployed to Baghdad for a year. And what was your job? Like, what, were, what did they tell you you were going to be doing when you got there? Well, originally, they told us they wanted us there. And then the company that we were supposed to work for said they didn't want us. So we kind of sat in limbo for a while and had to kind of make up our own job. Um, but ultimately, we ended up helping to rebuild the Baghdad Police Department, the battalion that I was with. And then my job specifically within that was I worked as a turret gunner. So the person standing up outside the top of the truck with the big gun, that was my job. Cool. Um, and I, I did convoy security. Yeah, I loved, I loved my job. Wow, that's awesome. All right. So tell me the story about when you were doing that job and how you ended up getting injured. Yeah, so it was actually the last few weeks of our tours, April 13th, 2004. And we had actually, so when you get close to the end of deployment, you take all the extra equipment that you're not using and you ship it back to the United States ahead of the unit. And so we had actually taken our shipping container of spare equipment, dropped it off at the airport to send it home. And we were on our way back to camp for the night when we got hit with uh, improvised explosive device with an IED. And I ended up 
separating my left shoulder, crushing the nerves through my shoulder, elbow, and wrist. Um, and then years later was actually diagnosed with traumatic brain injury and post-traumatic stress. Wow. So when something like that happens, I mean, first of all, you're thankful that you survive it. Mm-hmm. What happens then in the military? Do they automatically pull you out of the theater and patch you up? Or what happens moving forward? Uh, so this has changed since I got hurt. We were there very early on and before they realized that like the brain injury was such a prevalent thing when we're exposed to these blasts. So I actually stayed and finished the last two weeks of my tour before I got any medical, major medical attention. Um, that night when we finally got back to base, because we had some damage to our trucks, and so we had to wait for tow trucks and wreckers to come help us out. When we got back, the medics looked at me. They looked at my ears and said, okay, you didn't rupture an eardrum. Um, they looked at my arm. Where we were living, the most advanced technology we had was x-ray. And so they said, well, nothing's broken. We can't tell you what's wrong. Although I had a ton of pain in my arm. And like the next morning, my thumb and my forearm, the muscles started spasming and wouldn't stop. And so they actually gave me the choice to stay and finish my tour or to get shipped to Germany for medical care because we didn't know the extent of my injuries at the time. And I chose to stay, which hindsight being 2020, I should have gone to Germany and gotten the proper medical care. But four days before I was wounded, a soldier, another female in a company we worked very closely with was killed. And also, sorry. Yeah. And so we went through a whole lot of really hard things right towards the end. And I wasn't going to choose to leave my team when I knew I could stay and finish. And I knew we were so close to going home anyways. And so emotionally, I don't regret my decision to stay for a second. Physically, it probably wasn't the best choice because we didn't learn how extensive the nerve damage was till almost a month later. Wow. I'm sorry to hear about your friend. Thank you. So I've never met a Purple Heart recipient before. So, and I know that that's a designation that, you know, is very meaningful and that, you know, it doesn't come easily. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So for people who aren't fully sure, so the Purple Heart is uh, awarded to soldiers wounded um, in the line of duty, uh, wounded or killed in the line of duty. And it's, yeah, it's not something you want because bad things happened, but uh, I tried to wear it proudly, uh, especially as a female. I think it was, this was probably 10 years ago, but I was in Washington, D.C. visiting and I happened to be wearing a ribbon that signified that I had a Purple Heart and somebody stopped me and we got chatting and he, you know, thanked me for my service. And it came to light that at that point in time, only about 3,000 women in the entire United States in the Iraq and Afghanistan wars had received the Purple Heart. Um, less than 1% of troops will receive it and less than 1% of that 1% will be female. Yeah, I read that recently and I, I found that a little fascinating because I think we forget while a lot of people are in the military, in the grand scheme, like when you look at the whole population of the United States, it's really not a lot of people. No, no. Yeah, it's a it's a much smaller amount of people than I expected that are out there serving the country and protecting us. Mm -hmm. Uh, from all of these threats. And so the fact that, you know, the Purple Heart is a very elite award. And like you said, it's not necessarily a club you want to be a part of, Mm -hmm. but it definitely is meaningful, not just to be recognized for putting yourself in harm's way, but also for the rest of us to acknowledge that that's something that you were willing to do that some of us were not. So Mm -hmm. thank you very much for your service. You're welcome. 
fast forward from there, you get to come home. And what is re-entry? What is that like? So we spent, I spent about a month in Georgia doing some medical care, some medical evaluations. From there as National Guard, and again, this has changed it. It's been 15 years since I deployed. They have realized there was some gaps in the policies when I came home. Um, We basically came home from deployment. We had a, I think, six-day kind of medical out-processing uh, quick psychological evaluation, and we got sent home and returned to our daily life. Like, poof, that was it. We were done. We went back to our families, our jobs. I went back to college, and we were kind of expected to pick up like we had never left. So you get home, you're expected to move on. Mm-hmm. And what I'm assuming some challenges come with that because, you know, I can speak from my own experience. I went abroad, I went to Uganda, Africa, I did a mission trip. I was gone for two weeks. And when you're there, you are changed. I mean, you can't come back and resume life as normal. And I was there, mind you, for two weeks, and I was not really in harm's way. So I can only imagine uh, mentally what you went through when you came back. So for me, upon my return after two weeks coming back to the U.S., I looked at my life and our culture in a whole with a different set of eyes. Mm -hmm. And just realized how ridiculous a lot of the things that we worry about are and how we handle things and what we worry about. So I can only imagine having had your experience when you come back, what were some of the things that you noticed didn't make sense anymore to you? At some level, all of it, everything. (laughs) Um, Like I said, I wasn't diagnosed with a brain injury till later. So I was diagnosed with PTSD pretty quick. Um, and with the post-traumatic stress, like just not fitting in and just being so jumpy. And then with the brain injury, I actually ended up having to learn how to read again um, and kind of a whole new way to study and interact. And yeah, you realize how much we just take for granted that everything's going to be okay in the morning and you know there, there will always be a next day. And so a lot more gratefulness as I worked through a lot of therapy for the fact that I did get a chance to come home. Now, when you were home, is that when you met your husband? Yes. So I did not meet my husband. I'd been home about five years when we met. So you meet your husband. He's Mm -hmm. not in the military, I'm assuming. Nope. And you get married and you have this picture or vision of what your life is going to look like. Yes. And how did that look for you? So the plan was uh, a big house on some acreage in Montana and more than two children, less than five. We, we, weren't, <laughs> we weren't quite, we didn't quite have a plan, but we knew we wanted more than two and less than five. And he had a great, has a great career and I was going to be a stay-at-home mom. And how did that pan out? Uh, none of, well, we got the house, we got the land and pretty much none of the rest of it worked out. Um, we ended up going through three years of infertility struggles. Um, We went through five rounds of in vitro fertilization and had four pregnancies that we lost all before nine weeks um, after having seen and heard the heartbeat on each of them. I'm so sorry. Thank you. And after pretty much two years of nonstop hormones and in vitro and medical nonsense, we came to a point where we had to make a decision to either keep going or to stop. And I just physically, emotionally, mentally couldn't keep doing what we were doing. And so we made the decision to stop and move on with life child-free and pick a whole new and different path than we had originally planned. So that leads you to what you're doing today. Mm -hmm. 
talk to me about the pursuit of evolution. So I realized that in the process of kind of coming to terms with and grieving this loss of not getting to have kids, and at some level, even going back and grieving like the brain injury and the PTSD and how that changed my life from Iraq, I realized that even when I don't get to choose the outcome, I get to choose how I respond to it. And I have firmly believed that life isn't better or worse without kids. It's just different for every amazing opportunity that parents have getting to hear their first words, getting to send them off to graduation. There's also a bunch of really, really hard stuff and long, lonely, scary nights. And I don't have to do those long, lonely, scary nights. I get to sleep in. I get to travel when I want. You know, I have so many different freedoms, but I trade those amazing moments. And so it's not a better or worse. It's a just different. And so I started really leaning into that um, and picking very deliberately picking what I wanted to do with my life since I wasn't going to be a stay-at-home mom. And since I already was home, like we kind of jumped the gun. I had quit my job while we were trying to get pregnant so I could already be home when the kids came about. And so um, my husband and I talked it through and I launched my own online business as my new, my, my new kind of catchphrase is, if I don't get to raise kids, I'm going to raise an empire. <laughs> Nice. So tell me about it. What is the pursuit of evolution? So I've kind of narrowed it down to three key principles. The pursuit of evolution is the desire to chase growth. It's being excited for the unknown in life. And it's embracing change as an incredible opportunity and something to like lean into instead of something to resist and fear. And is this like business coaching that you do for businesses or is this like life coaching that you do for individuals or is it a combination of both? So I mostly do business strategy coaching for small online businesses and really helping them because our businesses are always evolving. And it can be hard and scary to change anything in a business that's kind of working. Um, So I mostly do business coaching, but when I talk about the pursuit of evolution, I do public speaking, I do things like these podcasts, really it's something everybody can apply to their life. It's something I have hopes and plans of writing a book that is going to be aimed for everybody at how to implement this in your life. Because whether it's business strategy or making the decision to stop fertility treatments, change is going to happen. And what do you want people to know about change? Because I know that's a big mission of yours. I want them to know that change isn't as scary as we make it out to be. It's not a negative thing. And even when we don't like the outcome, um, when the change isn't something we want, we still get to control how we feel about it. And we still can take control over kind of what's next with it. And so that's where we need to lean into it instead of resisting it. Well, so my question for you is, you know, you've been through a lot of hard stuff. How do you display courage and resiliency, you know, when you've had to deal with such hardships? Um, A lot of grace and a lot of asking for help. Is, is giving, there's times where I have to give myself grace that the wheels have fallen off the bus and I'm going to spend a couple of days in bed with some ice cream and Netflix and <laughs> that's okay. But at the end of the day, talking to my husband, to my family, teaching them about what post-traumatic stress was, about what we were going through, being very honest with anybody and everybody about what our fertility struggles were, finding an amazing therapist is Again, it was leaning into it and it wasn't always easy or comfortable, but kind of owning that this is what's going on in my life and I need help getting through it. You know, there are a lot of people nowadays who are feeling overwhelmed and 
burnout and out of alignment. Why do you think people end up feeling this way? I think it's because we're dragging our feet. We start to see the change is coming, or sometimes we're just blind to the fact that change is coming. We like status quo. Like evolutionarily speaking, we are designed to crave the status quo. Change is dangerous and danger is bad. And so we kind of get drawn into it and all of a sudden things don't feel good. And then we have to kind of start struggling to make things work. And the next thing you know, you're overwhelmed and scattered and just not happy with your situation. So what are some uh, action items, like things that our listeners can do to pursue the evolution in their own lives? So I encourage people to always look at where things aren't jiving in your life, whether that's your job, your home, your business, anything, and whatever doesn't feel good and start exploring all of the options. You don't have to necessarily act on it. And if you're struggling in your job, you don't have to quit right this minute. But start looking at what is it about the job that's not working? Is it the management, the job itself, the hours? And sometimes you might need outside help to explore all these options. So like I encourage people to talk to a friend, a therapist, um, hire a coach that would be appropriate to what you're working on and explore all of those options and start those conversations. And I find the path will kind of appear from there. Um, And then don't fear it. Like, look at how you can control how you feel about it. Like, like I've said before is don't, don't fear it. Once you start seeing what the opportunities and options are. You know, Casey, I've been following you on Facebook and what I'm loving about your page is that you offer great mindset uh, videos and mantras and food for thought, um, especially, you know, with how to face exceptional challenges, how to set priorities and really just how to think about things. And one of the videos I I watched, you know, you touched on something that everyone's kind of talking about right now, which is like identifying your ideal customer. Mm -hmm. I really loved that video because you brought a different spin to it. And, you know, ultimately what you said is, yes, you have an ideal customer, but if you can actually picture who that person is, like it might be someone you know, or, you know, it makes it easier for you to create a product or a service that will suit this actual person that you know versus a mythical, um, you know, this is my ideal client, but that actually Mm -hmm. doesn't exist. So I would encourage my listeners to find you on Facebook. It's Casey Jordan, The Pursuit of Evolution. Mm -hmm. Um, It is your Facebook page. And um, I know that you're posting this great stuff on there. And so I want to help you get the word out because you have such a unique perspective given all that you have already gone through in your life, right? You're wise beyond your years simply from what you've experienced. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm really loving the videos that you're putting out because you offer such neat perspective. Thank you. And that's that's been kind of the hope with this whole new evolution of mine and this business is that I didn't go through all of this hardship for nothing, that I can make something, some sort of gain out of it. Casey, I know on your website, you have a free opt-in for folks to learn more. Tell me more about that opt-in. Yes. So it is the six myths that are holding you back in business and then what to do to get past them. So a lot of mindset stuff, a lot of bad habits uh, that are slowing down the progression in your business. All right. Awesome. Yeah. I know a lot of people that will be interested in that. So if they're interested in checking that out, I'll have the link for that in my show notes as well. Great. You know, Casey, you've taken an extraordinary set of events in your life and learned from it. And now you're using your experience to help other people. And that is not only profound, but it is a testament to the strength of your character. Thank you. 
So thank you for being real today and vulnerable and sharing your experience with us um, and for having the genuine desire to help other people. And I know that you're going to move on and do great things. So friends, if you're interested in following Casey, I highly recommend that you follow her on Facebook, Casey Jordan, The Pursuit of Evolution, or you can check out her work at CaseyJordan.com. And Jordan is spelled J-O-U-R-D-A-N. And I'll have these links in my show notes for this episode that you can find either on the podcast listening app where you're listening to this show or on my website, which is Josiology.com. Thank you, Casey, for being with me today. Thank you, Josie. This was great. Thank you for listening to Josiology. Be sure to visit Josiology.com to access the show notes and discover fantastic bonus content. To join the conversation, find us on Facebook or Instagram with username at Josiology Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. 